The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. And that's because the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has some great features like the available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, and much, much more. So think about those places that you want to go, the things that you'd like to do this weekend and where the Santa Fe can take you. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the First Cut Podcast. This is Kyle Porter. We are Chip patterson today, uh, but we do have Sean Martin on board for the, uh, for the entirety of the, of the show. Sean, how are we doing? Good. Uh, no spoilers, but I believe we're discussing another chip later in the show. We are. It's an ode to our chip, <laughs> to my chip. A little, you... little, little less energy to the intro with no chip, but uh, it'll be good. Less traffic. I know. I can't, I can't, uh, I can't, he just, he just brings it. He's like, who was the starter at the open for oh, some, Ivor, Ivor Robson? Yeah. He's like Ivan Robson. And I'm like, um, I don't know, uh, Bob, uh, what's his name? Ford, Bob Ford. No, he's more like Vince McMahon. <laughs> uh, okay. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, first thing we're going to discuss is travelers championship. Where were you when Shea Reve burned down the back nine at TPC River Highland with a 28 on Saturday? Uh, where was I? I don't remember. I just remember <laughs> checking checking the scores after and texting some people, welcome to the Reeve era. <laughs> I mean, the guy just finished third in the U.S. Open and was waxing the field. In a strong, I mean, a strong field even at the Travelers this it week. A, uh, it was a great field. Yeah, he you. I got multiple texts from you this morning before before taping this. Chez is elite. Chez is the. I mean, what what's get do you, do your Chez thing? Let's go. So I do think uh, I was doing a little calculations last night because I mean I feel like he always plays well. He plays very well at Pebble. Plays well on the West Coast. Uh, has had a good finish at Mayakoba, and I was like, man, I feel like if you put Chez on a shorter golf course. <laughs> Because there's guys like this, right? I always think, like, what would the top 50 in the world, world ranking look like if we only played courses that were, like, 7,000 yards long, where distance wasn't a factor, it was everything else. Um, and so I, I did the numbers, did some spreadsheeting a little bit, and I, was, and I found that if you took, uh, since the, the last three years, if you took strokes gained per round, so basically how much they're beating the field average by each, week, uh, each day, since the start of the 2017 season, Chez is elite. Uh, so minimum 15 rounds in that time. The list goes Rory McIlroy, uh, Gary sure. Woodland. Gary played very well at Pebble, which uh, falls in that category. Pebble. Gary also always plays well at um, the Hawaii event, Sony Open, and then in, at Malaysia at CIMB, which is one of the shortest courses on tour. Uh, and then Webb, third Webb's is... Got to, Webb's got to be out there, doesn't he? Well, third is Shez Reevy, and fourth is Webb Simpson. There you go. <laughs> now, there's a lot of factors that go in. This is a small-ish sample size, but I mean... Shez is the only third guy uh, this season to win who's ranked outside the top 150 in driving distance. So, I mean, driving distance is definitely a factor. It's definitely something that, that hinders him. But uh, all other aspects of his game right now are probably – they're elite. 
Yeah, and he was first in strokes gained on approach shots. He was seventh in that category at the U.S. Open, and, and I think that that sort of goes to your point of, like, he's gaining so many strokes from Tita Green, but they're all coming with his iron play. I mean, he's, he's, he's not losing strokes with the driver, which is usually the case. Uh, I don't know. There's, there's so many different ways to go with this. Uh, the thing that I was sort of thinking about, it, he feels a little um, Charles Howell light-ish, uh, just in in terms of like the way his career has developed, he wins in 08. He goes over a decade without winning again. Do you do you like the Charles Howe White ish comparison? Uh, I, the name Corey Pavin came up a lot, and obviously Pavin was a different caliber player, also in a different era. Um, but he is kind of Pavin of just one of those guys who's very short uh, but straight. Um, I like the Pavin comparison. Howell for me is a little tough just because. Howell's always going to be thought of for that impressive amateur career. And Chez did win. He did win a USGA title. He won the U.S. Amateur Pub Links, uh, which no longer exists. Um, but I, I, I like more like a Corey Pavin style. Just, it's a swing that, you know, there's guys Chez's size who hit it farther, but he has mastered a swing that uh, um, just, you know, you can only hit it so far with that action. And unfortunately today the reality is that hinders you. Well, and it's it's so interesting. I was reading about him just over the last day or so, and it, it I mean, he had wrist surgery in what thirteen, fourteen, something like that. Yeah, he. I mean, he played the Web. dot com tour finals and regained his card not all that long ago. Yeah, yeah, I know. But like it, the the weird part for me was he was he was like having success on the PGA Tour, and and are we still calling it the Web. dot com? Uh, Corn Ferry. There we go. Uh, he was having success on both of those tours while sort of reshaping his swing to fit this like rebuilt wrist. That's such a like that's such a hard thing to do, right? I mean, uh, how how many how many guys are capable of like keeping your card on these tours while still uh, or, or excuse me while rebuilding a swing to kind of to kind of go along with it? Yeah. You know what's crazy, too, looking at his record? He's very feast or famine. I'm looking. He has five top three finishes the last two seasons, and that's out of eight total top tens. Yeah. Um, so when he when he does it, he gets into contention. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think this one didn't seem to resonate as much as some other Cinderella stories, but it is crazy. And maybe because we were talking about it, Pebble, he doesn't look 37. I think he's 37. <laughs> but, no. I mean, it's been, it's been 11 years since he won. It's been more than a decade. Like – Obviously, winning doesn't happen often, but you know some guys they just don't win at all. Uh, to win eleven years between victories has to be so maddening, and then you have to think about how satisfying it has to be when it finally happens. Yeah, no, totally. And great stat on that from Justin Ray. He said uh, between like in the span between Chez's wins, hundred ninety different players have won on the PGA Tour. That's crazy. What about and, that leaderboard from his victory? Uh, yeah, uh, Will, no. Gr- well, Will Gray tweeted that one out. That was a, a throwback Sunday. Yeah, pull, uh, pull that up because I got another one here. Dustin Johnson earned – this is from Justin Ray. Dustin Johnson earned all 20 of his PGA Tour titles between Chez's two victories. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy, right? Yeah. That's, ins- I mean, that's, like, that, that's insane. Dustin Johnson had a Hall of Fame career between Chez's victories. <laughs> But Brooks Koepka did too. Um, all right, so Canadian Open 2008 uh, at Glen Abbey. Uh, yeah, this Shed, leaderboard. Not, this leaderboard is so sick. Which, by the way, we speak of him mastering the short courses. Glen Abbey is a long hitter's paradise. It has a bunch of par fives that are reachable. 
for the big guys. Like Johnny Vegas won twice there. DJ won there. But Shez Reevy first. Uh, Billy Mayfair second. He's on PJ Tour Champions right now. Steve Marino third uh, with Sean O'Hare. I see you know O'Hare still has tour status. Marino I see bounce back and forth between there and the Corn Ferry. Uh, Scott McCarron tied for fifth. He's on PJ Tour Champions. I think just ripping it up there. Also tied fifth, Nicholas Thompson. Uh, who I believe is out of golf, maybe back on the web. Uh, Mike Weir, T5, Canada's favorite son, with a little <laughs> bit of a resurgence. And then Glenn Day, T8, I have no idea where Glenn Day is right now. Uh, this one will get the the uh, viewers going. T8, Anthony Kim. Mm. And and then finally, uh, Kevin Na. Um, Anthony Kim, though, final round 75 to finish six back. Uh, it looks like he held the 54-hole lead. Uh yeah, amazing. Wow, Shez Reevy, Anthony Kim. Shez had a one-shot lead over Anthony Kim and apparently just stared AK down and left him quaking in his boots. <laughs> and this was 2008. This was the year that Anthony Kim was on the Ryder Cup team and he's running around Valhalla with an American flag. This was like peak Anthony Kim, and Shez Reevy just stared him down. Anthony Kim and Boo Weekly just, just lighting up Valhalla that year. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something, and we talk about this a lot, like there's something to be said for just the longevity of playing 278 PGA Tour events, of, of keeping your card, of going to Q school. I mean, he was, I read today, he's one of the last guys to go to Q school and earn his, basically earn his card back. And um, to do that year over year and earn, I think he's made, what, 14 mil in his career, 13 mil, something like that. It, it's a, it's a, it's not an impressive career in the way that, we look at um, stars and and guys that we talk about a lot, but it is an impressive career in terms of longevity and and just being kind of in the mix year in and year out. Yeah, and but also not even being in the mix really, but just kind of that like we talked about earlier, coming back from. I mean, he was 160th in the uh, FedEx Cup not that long ago. Like, he was not that far from probably, you know, things are looking kind of bleak, and he's definitely reinvented himself, and he's had some of the best. Uh, years of his career so i'm looking he finished 10th in the fedex cup in 2011 that was when he lost to webb at the deutsche bank but then he goes 132 118 uh 239 166th uh in 2015 then climbs back to 81st 39th 34th and 12th so you're also looking at his possibly his second tour championship appearance and uh i mean basically was in the wilderness was in the woods uh was missing more cuts than he was making and then uh, has really turned it around, especially, I mean, to turn it around with, like we've talked about it, not to harp on it too much, but turning it around in an era when distance really, really matters and he lacks it and has been able to find a way to get it done. Yeah. Uh, okay. You want to go Zach Sucher or your boy, our other chip, our beloved chip McDaniel. Let's do chip McDaniel. Cause I saw a tweet just come across uh, that he did receive a sponsor exemption into the rocket mortgage. So nice. There's there's now four spots available in the Monday qualifier, not three. Uh, assuming he would have taken one, but <laughs> I'm I, I'm glad and a lot of credit to uh, one of my favorite new Twitter accounts. Not that new, maybe, but up and coming uh, at a case of the golf one, which is kind of a double level meaning because he covers Monday qualifiers. So if you then put it together, it's a case of the Mondays. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> took me a while to figure out what that meant, and then I finally the light bulb came on but he does a great job of covering kind of the lower levels of uh of golf just guys grinding to make it whether through monday qualifiers or mini tours or um 
just the guys that are outside the spotlight but are just doing amazing things to try to keep their career alive. And so he's been all over the Chip McDaniel story, um, and he kind of started a, uh, let's say, groundswell movement to get Chip a sponsor exemption. And it looks like it's paid off, which is awesome because, I mean, he had to go. He flew a red eye Sunday night from Pebble to Boston, drove 90 minutes, arrived at the golf course an hour before his tee time, goes out, shoots 67, then wins a playoff and gets into Travelers. And, like, I mean, I took a red-eye home from Pebble as well, and I slept all day and was useless and didn't do anything. And this guy went out and shot 67. And then, you know, he played solid. He faded on Sunday, but he did. He played with Brooks Kepka on Saturday. And, I mean, Brooks admitted being disinterested and fatigued and worn out, but he still beat Brooks 68-72 to 72 in their Saturday pairing. And, um, you know, even if Brooks didn't play well, still, I mean, Chip played alongside Brooks and wasn't overtaken by the moment and played well, uh, playing with kind of maybe the most intimidating figure in, in golf right now. And so all credit to Chip for that. Uh, I'm unconvinced that you're not running that Twitter account. That is uh, like, well, that. that's so like the, cro- that's the crossroads of all of your favorite things. So he, I've, uh, he and I have started texting. He was on the Friday podcast and it's a great pod. People should listen to it. But, uh, since then, uh, I've been texting with him. I told him, I go, man, like I used to be all over the Monday qualifier, uh, scene and trying to cover that and trying to be on top of that. And finally I was like, this guy's got the market cornered. Like he's crazy. I can't compete with it. Uh, <laughs> and so I kind of, I have seeded that market a little bit to him. I still kind of, <laughs> hang out in the amateur golf circles and collegiate circles. But as far as Monday qualifiers and mini tours, man, like that guy, I mean, he can't, he can't be beat. He's, he's crazy. It's well, and it's a fascinating circle, right? It's like you see some of these names come across in Monday qualifiers and you're like, Whoa, whoa. like what, where is, what has that guy been doing? It's super interesting. Um, another guy that, uh, well, on the McDaniel thing, what what's his deal in terms of like status, and what's he tr- like like what what's his essentially goal for the rest of the summer? So he missed at Q school, so he started this year with no status, and he was thinking about going to uh, Canada to try to that tour. But he Mondayed for the um, the Dominican Republic event, the yeah. Corrales Punta Cana, the one that Graham McDowell won. Yeah. Um, and he made the cut and shoots a Sunday 63 to finish T5. And that's kind of where people started to um, to kind of pay attention. Because, like, who's this guy that just shot a 65 or 63, sorry, on Sunday to vault up the leaderboard? And um, it's kind of a cool story. He was a all-state basketball player in Kentucky, which is a pretty good place to do it. Um, and then he was uh, – he beat Sam Burns in the junior PGA and then went to the University of Kentucky and had a, like, good career but not i mean not great i don't think he was ever an all-american um and he just turned pro last year 2018 um and so anyway so he plays well at punta cana and he's like well my best thing to do now is not go to canada but instead if you try to if you can make the top 200 in the fedex cup uh with your non-member points you earn you get into the corn Ferry finals which is the uh three tournaments where you can earn pga tour cards for next season so and it's a fairly low threshold to clear because you're a lot of guys down around the 200 on that list are guys who aren't playing all that much. They're past champions, maybe, you know, older guys. So anyways, he's got 78 points uh, right now. And I'm going to look, he's probably entering the tournament. He was about, I want to say he was like 196th in the FedEx cup. Um, 
and so he's close to what he needs to be but obviously a few more points would help uh just to kind of secure that status because there are there's not that many weeks left but there's still enough where people could pass him so he is with 78 points he's still 196 he kind of faded on sunday so yeah. uh definitely more points would help but he's in line for um for a spot in those finals and i think as people see kind of you know what he's up against that he needs starts he needs points hopefully uh, more people like the the rocket mortgage people will reach out and give him starts yeah it's a cool story and another cool story speaking of um the travelers was zach suture shooting a 30 on the back nine on sunday by the way chip and chip patterson and i we get on we hop on here we talk brooks dj rory I get you on here and we're going 15 minutes on Chez, Chip McDaniel and Zach Suture. So congratulations for uh, hijacking this to the, the guys I mean, look, that you it, want to talk about. Anyone can pontificate on the big names. It, <laughs> I, there's plenty of people that can do that. I'd much rather would just kind of dig through the cracks and crevices of professional golf. So Zach Suture goes uh, T2 at Travelers, chips in on 18 for par. Just, uh, just a really cool moment, honestly. And the reason it's a cool moment is because he made uh, like six hundred fifty grand by finishing T two, and not only that, but he goes from five hundred fifth in the world to one hundred forty seventh with that finish, which is just, which is just an unbelievable jump. And well, and also not being not being a homer for my employer, but also one twenty six <laughs> one twenty six in the FedEx Cup, which comes with it a playoff start but also a start in the players championship um i mean for a guy who and we can get into it but like he was talking about he took out new credit cards to max those out and i mean all that stuff is a big boondoggle for a guy who (laughs) admitted that he's got a fair amount of debt yeah and and it's it's such a to me it's it's so weird because you've got the 147th best player in the world and i know that's brand new like it just happened and the chasm between his life and the way he makes money or whatever and, like, the top ten guys in the world. I mean, do you think Ricky Fowler's worried about credit card debt? No. Like, it, but isn't that such a – like, in what other profession is, like, the hundred it, – it's, it's probably unfair to call him the 147th best player, but even, like, the top – Let's say he's like the 300th best player. And what other profession is the the chasm between 300 and top 25 like that big? I don't know. Maybe maybe that is true of other professions. Yeah, I mean, but you look at like baseball. Now, granted, it's hard enough to get to the majors, but once you do, you're subject to a minimum salary. Uh, I mean, there's no minimum salary. He, it was two years ago the Travelers that he shut it down because of injuries and yeah. hasn't didn't play on the PGA Tour again until this season. And even then, he had played 14 events. He'd made $35,000. He made three of 14 cuts. So, I mean, he's got $810,000 in career tour earnings, and that's because 660 of them uh, (laughs) came last week. And even the week was crazy. Like, we talk about the Chez Reeve show, but uh, halfway through the third round, it was like the Zach Sutcher show. He was like five five ahead. He was rolling. And then he plays the first three holes, the back nine, uh, five over, and Shez shoots 28 and the whole script flips. So a lot of credit to him for after going, you know, bogey, double, double and losing this lead he'd built for keeping it together. Not only, you know, finishing strong on Saturday, but then also, you know, this is a guy where if he shoots a 72 on Sunday and finishes 12th, like it doesn't really get him very much. So for him to chip in on 18 and, and close strong and hold it together on Sunday, I mean, yeah, he didn't win, but I mean, still a career changing week for him. Yeah, no, it is. And 
you know, not to, again, pay homage to your employer, but he's on a medical, a medical extension. So this was his fourth of, I guess, six medical starts. And I don't, can, you might be able to explain this better than I can, but he needs to get to 347 FedEx cut points to get his card. I don't know why that's the number. I don't know what, is that well, 125? Well, that will, yeah, that's the 125 from the last season, okay. the season that he was injured, that 2017 season. But that will only get him uh, status through the end of this season, right. which it's kind of crazy. It's only June, but there's not much time left. We've got, yeah. uh, you know, Detroit, Minnesota, John Deere, and then the Open Championship, uh, and then the WGC, the St. Jude, and then the Wyndham. Basically, we have like five, six weeks left until the playoffs. And so really, fulfilling the medical will be nice, but only gets him you know, five weeks of status. Whereas the 125 now, where he's 126, that's what he needs to do for status for all of next season. So the medical, it's nice, but now he's kind of in a position where, I mean, he can keep his card for next year. But he need, but he needs, so he said he's starting, I think he's starting either rocket mortgage or three M and then he's doing John Deere. And so he needs, what does he need to keep his card for next or to get his card for next year? Uh, just top 125 in the FedEx Cup, and he's 126. Oh, he's 126. For, oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. He's 126 in this season. Yeah, the, the medical extension only lasts through the – it only gets him status through the end of the – for the end yeah, of this yeah. season, yeah. finishing top 125 gets him status next season. That makes – okay. So we're talking – yeah, that makes sense. We're talking about two different things there. But, I mean, for him, like, Can, e- even if he doesn't get there, let's, let's, say, he, let's say he misses a cut at, at John Deere or whatever – and he finishes 148th in the FedEx Cup, and he goes to the Corn Ferry Final. What are we calling the 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 KFC the Bowl? Cor- no, the the no the Corn Ferry Finals. I believe is the name. Just everything yeah. that said Web.com just replaced it with Corn Ferry. So he goes Corn Ferry Final. I mean, that's a big deal for him, right? Yeah, I mean, I th- look the big deal has already happened. I mean, the 600. Let's yeah. be honest. I you know yeah. we talk about statuses, we talk about all this, but I mean these are real people with real bills and mortgages and whatnot. I mean, the big deal is the six hundred sixty thousand dollars that he just earned. By the way, I just asked you how you earn your card for next year, and uh, that's I, I I am fully aware of how uh, a, a, a tour player earns their card for next year. I was, I was wondering, I was, can we? This has been really numbers heavy. Can we just talk real quick about his uh, his bio? Yeah, well, can I explain myself? I was confused by the medical. Yeah, go ahead. Anyway. Sure. Uh, I get it. It happens to everyone. Yeah, so sure. his, I remember, the personal, I remember my first podcast. <laughs> the personal section of his bio, uh, All-State Basketball Selection, which that's like Chip McDaniel. It's nice. Uh, non-related golf jobs after college include performing in a Backstreet Boys cover band. Yeah. He was a sixth-grade sixth checker champion in middle school, sure. has wrestled an alligator, uh, and skydiving is on his bucket list. I kind of feel like maybe he had to fill this out one year and he never thought anyone would read it or it would be publicly published anywhere, and now here it is. It sounds like one of his kids filled it out. Maybe. He's only got uh, one, and she's five, so that would have been pretty impressive. Can we talk uh, – We we got can we go Brooks or Spieth? We're 19 minutes – we're 22 minutes in. We probably should. I mean, Brooks, there's not much to talk about. Brooks was worn out. Uh, I'm I'm – can I say something about Brooks? Sure. Yeah. If I, you want to deal with the repercussions, go for well, it. Yeah. No kidding. He comes in and he's like, "Yep, this is we're treating it like a major." And you're like, "Okay, well, what what is that?" And then he shoots a couple of rounds over par, plays terribly on Saturday, and he gets to the end of Saturday and he's like, "Nope, I'm I'm cooked. I'm fried." But then he, he also does this thing where he's like, you know. 
I didn't know I would be, whenever I committed to this tournament, I didn't know I would be mentally fried from contending in the majors. And it's like, well, wait a second. Like, you're the one that expects to, like, win every major. Like, you, more than anybody, like, kind of purport that as your attitude going into the majors. Like, I'm going to be there at the end. I'm going to be there at the end. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. So why would you have thought anything other than you being, like, mentally cooked uh, the week after a major championship? Yeah, I think there are times, though, where it just it kind of catches up to you. And you, you do, yeah. you want, you want to try and, but it just, you don't have it. Yeah, I guess I think, I think what's interesting is like, we always like these guys always talk about, I mean, Tiger made it famous, but everybody talks about Spieth has talked a ton about peaking four times a year. And I think for, I think for Kepka, it's more like he's sort of figured out, maybe this is true. Maybe not. It seems like he's figured out how to kind of mentally peak four times a year. And I think we've always t- taken that phrase to mean like physically peak, like have your best stuff, have your swing, have everything in order. But I think mentally it matters just as much, if not more. And he seems to have like, for however, for whatever reason, figured out that part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like you can, you can do that, but I guess you can. I mean, I guess he's proving it. I, it it does seem interesting. I'm curious how long it it lasts. I mean, can you really do that for 15 years? I I don't know. So his uh, last I mean, so his last six non-major starts: T57, T50, fourth at Byron Nelson, T56, T56, miscut at Arnold Palmer. One finish inside the top 50. His last three major starts: second, first, second. It, it may it, so I do like, think. It makes no sense. I wonder how much I wonder how much his scheduling uh, has to do with this. In that, you know, we saw it with the Canadian Open and the U.S. Open. The Canadian Open was his first start after a long break, and so the U.S. Open was his second start. And so I'm wondering that if he's scheduling himself in a way, and I haven't looked close enough, and I'm not going to make the listeners wait for me to for my browser to load. But uh, like, I do think there is something to okay. If you're going to do that, then you know this first event back is kind of, you're knocking the rust off basically. And you're not in competitive, you know, most guys like Spieth, I think says he's got to play three weeks in a row. And really the third week is the peak. And now granted this time for Brooks, that wasn't obviously the case, partly because he's coming off a major and a cross country flight. But I think when you're scheduling it, where your, your regular starts, your regular events are all coming after a decent sized layoff, then yeah, you're not going to play great because it's your first event back. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, Spieth, anything? He basically said what I've been saying, which is that his top tens were fake top tens that were buoyed by chipping in and having, uh, as you put on Twitter, like some, honestly, like some of the best putting events of his entire career. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, Beth Page and Colonial both have fairly flat greens, and they're they're uh, especially Colonial. It's pretty good bent grass surfaces and. Uh, he's had some great putting weeks there before, and so those are both just uh, surfaces where when you're putting well and you're a great putter like he is, you can kind of roll it. You can roll a lot in. So, I mean, that definitely helped him. Yeah, no, it did. And uh, he's just, I don't know, man. He, it feels like if it's, you know, if it's not his driving, it's it just, it's always something. And, uh you know, I, I, he did make a good point in that, like, this time last year he was really struggling with his putter. 
or at some point last year. I don't know about exactly this time. And that has come around. Obviously, he's putting it great. And so at some point, his tee to green game, I think, will come around. He believes will come around. We'll see if it comes around. But I thought that was a I thought that was a good point by him. And um, I don't know. Maybe he'll figure it out at the the sixth major here in a couple of weeks. The the deer if he plays it. I believe he said he's not. I believe he said he usually just goes over there early. Well, he said he hasn't decided though. Yeah. So uh, okay. Now it's time for stock up, stock down. Brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Uh, Sean, we're going to use this time to talk about uh, your favorite thing to talk about, which is amateurs. Moving on into uh, the PGA Tour, I've got the. F- I want to talk about the four guys that transitioned uh, into um, their professional careers. Uh, a couple of them did it at Travelers. For a couple others, it was their second or third event as a pro. Uh, but let's lead with uh, the headliner, the guy that you wrote about last week. Uh, great piece, by the way. My OSU um, people loved it. Thought it was great. Excited about it. Uh, Matthew Wolf. Um, he made the cut, but then shot at, I think it's 75 on Saturday or 74, maybe on Saturday and, uh, did not make the second cut. So, uh, were you uh, stock up, stock down? Were you disappointed? Was that about what you expected going into his first start? Uh, I'm still going to stock up. I mean, he hadn't competed since NCAA championship on May 27th. So it had been a pretty long, um, a pretty long wait to compete again. Uh, just like we talked about with Brooks. And I think, too, I mean, he had a, a kind of ballyhoo debut. There's a lot of work to be done, a lot of, you know, media stuff. And, and a lot of these events, you know, pro debuts, guys should come up and miss the cut because, frankly, there's just so much attention on them. And I thought he did really well to just make the cut after two rounds. He was two over uh, after, I think, going into the back nine of his first round. And he birdied two of his last three to shoot even in his first round. And then he had it going in the second round. He was moving off the board. He had it to five under. And unfortunately, he just played his last three holes that round, uh, three over. But that still was enough to make the cut. So I think still stock up because he he did uh, – making the cut in your pro debut is, is not something to be downplayed. And, and I think you know we learned the value of – in college golf, you can get away with double bogeys. And in pro golf, you really can't. And, and that was kind of the, the problem there. But he – he got it together and fought hard to make the cut and really was almost in contention after uh, two rounds. Yeah. I'll go stock up too. I'm not going to let one, you know, week kind of dampen the way that I feel about his ceiling. I, I do think that I, you know, there, we talked to some people, I think last week at the U S open where there's some, there's this sort of like undercurrent of like, wait a second, do we have the right Oklahoma state guy here? And so we'll tra- we'll, use right. that. we'll we'll just transition into Victor Hovland, who finished T fifty four after finishing T twelve at the U S Open the week before. Stock up, stock down on on Victor Hovland. Um, I still think stock up. Again, it was a disappointing Sunday for him, a disappointing final round. So he finished T fifty four. But um, the thing that was interesting was so he shot sixty seven in the first round, and he had it going well in the second round, and then. Uh, it, this week he had a triple and a double with in the second and third rounds with no penalty strokes, and he was greenside in regulation both times. So just made a mess around the green. So mm. uh, obviously very avoidable. I think it was a little bit surprised you see a guy finish off a you know his T twelve at the U.S. Open, T thirty two at the at the Masters, and then finishes fifty fourth at Travelers. Um, it was definitely a little bit sloppy, but I think again, pro debuts are weird just because there's so much attention on you, and so I think. 
to make the cut. Um, a little bit disappointing after the pebble finish, but still, I think good to make that cut and at least get that hurdle out of the way. Yeah, I'm I'm stuck way up. He has. How about this? In the last two weeks, he's led the field in, in strokes gained off the tee both weeks. So U.S. Open, he was uh, he gained eight strokes, so basically two around. And then at the Travelers, he gained uh, six strokes, so almost uh, I guess one and a half around. And if you if you combine those two events, so there wasn't a ton of guys that played in and made the cut at both, but there were, there were several. I mean, guys like Kepka and you know players like that. Uh, Abraham Answer gained a, a combined seven. Uh, so of those players that made the cut at both events, Abraham Answer gained seven strokes off the tee. He was second place uh, in terms of combined strokes off the tee. Uh, Victor Hovland gained 14. He was first. So he doubled up the second best guy in strokes gained off the tee. I, I just I didn't realize he was going to be driving it at this elite a level uh, this early on. And now well, did, maybe, you him, did you see him bring the pump fake in the final yes. round? Yes. It's it's that's insane. He I, did that. Uh, he did that in Europe last year. He was competing at a European tour event as an amateur, and I, I appreciate it. The Oklahoma State coach Alan Bratton was kind of talking about that's one of the things he likes about Victor is he's not afraid to try something new that might look foolish if it's going to lead to success. So, you know, some people would never do that because just because they think it, it would look foolish. And Malcolm Gladwell had a great podcast on this. He talked about underhand free throw shooting and how yeah. uh, Rick Barry you know, made all these free throws underhand and like Shaq would do it in practice, but he's like, I could never, I'll never do this in person, even though he would make more and same with Will Chamberlain. And so both of them, just because they didn't want to look foolish, didn't try something that would lead to more success. And obviously Victor is not afraid of that. Uh, so you gotta give him credit for that. And that shows a definitely a certain level of, of mental strength. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I, I think that he's just got such a good – I think both of those guys, but especially Hovland, he just has such a good demeanor, I think, for the professional game. Like, he's just – he every time you talk to him, you see him, he, he seems the same all the time. Uh, okay, let's go to uh, your boy out of Cal, Colin Morikawa, uh, T36 at Travelers. Uh, stock up, stock down, and then also, like, along with that, what are the chances that he's going to be the best out of this group of four that we're talking about? Um, I don't, I don't know about that. I think that, um, he's got a more consistent game. Um, so I think the way people phrase it to me that I've talked to who follow this stuff, uh, a lot of, have seen a lot more college golf than I have recently is Wolf has the biggest upside, but you know, also may, there may be more risk with just how far he hits it, but has the highest ceiling. Hovland is like a, um, like a next generation Paul Casey, which some people might take as a knock. Cause he only has three PGA tour wins, but it's actually, I mean, it's a good career. I mean, Casey got to like third in the world. Uh, he's made a ton of Ryder cup teams, just a consistent, uh, moneymaker and a consistent top player in the world. And just Hovland has that kind of same all around game. Morikawa is a little shorter than the other two, but just apparently, you know, he hits it dead straight. Uh, his misses are like in the first cut, uh, no pun intended, but yes. So I, I think, love it. You know, and you do look at the courses they've played, it's been a little bit of a shorter stretch. So the Canadian Open was on 6,800-yard golf course. Uh, the U.S. Open at Pebble was less than 7,100. And then Travelers is like 6,800. So three of the shortest courses uh, on tour. So I think that definitely helps Colin. But the crazy thing is, so in, uh, I guess, eight or no, 12 rounds now in non-majors, uh, he has one round over par. Or sorry, eight That's... rounds. Two, so he's played two non-majors. One round over par uh and then six of those eight rounds are in the 60s yeah yeah the round over par was uh third round at travelers he shot a 75 he made 
five bogeys uh, and two doubles. But he also he makes so many birdies, man. Like he he just scores and scores and scores and scores. I mean, it's yeah. it's really. It's really impressive. I'm stock up on him for sure. I, I think the only guy I'm going to go stock down on is this next guy, Justin Suh, USC. He had a he had a tough Travelers. Didn't play well. Yeah. Uh, missed the cut. This was what his second event, third event. Second as a pro, he also missed the cut at Memorial, um, and then earlier this year he played Bay Hill, the Arnold Palmer Invitational, presented by Mastercard, and missed the cut. So he is 0 for three. Um, I do think that he is the fourth. <laughs> I mean, out of this group, he's definitely the fourth player. Um, I think, you know, Hovland and Wolf are probably T1. Uh, and then Suh is probably close, or sorry, Morikawa is probably closer behind them. I do think Suh, though, is, you know, in their shadow. Yeah, he only made one birdie over the first two rounds. And this is a course that, you know, it God, didn't. Can't do that. Yeah. And it's, I mean, Patrick, I saw pa- Patrick Cantlay said, like, I feel like I can birdie every hole, which is very. Yeah. A very Tiersaw statement, but also uh, kind of true. So, okay, we're going to get to one more thing, stat of the day after. It's a really fine line creating workout clothes that are great in the gym and workout clothes that are also great to look at outside the gym. And Viore has threaded that needle. They are designed to work out in, but they don't look like it. They don't feel like it. And it's incredibly comfortable stuff, whether you are running, training, swimming, doing yoga, running errands, lounging around the house. It really doesn't matter. These are versatile clothes. You'll find me often in the men's Sunday performance jogger because I I like the jogger situation that goes on down at the bottom, but they're very comfortable. Uh, They've got a little bit of a shorter inseam, so they're not as bulky as as other pants or other joggers that I have seen out there, and I've really enjoyed how they work both in and out of the gym. So now, here's what you can do for for our listeners. Uh, First-time purchasers are getting 20% off. All you have to do is go to viori.com slash first. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash first. Again, not only will you receive 20% off your first order, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. And here's my favorite part, free returns. Yeah, go check it out. Viori.com slash first and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. Did you know that more than 75% of Americans will experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% will seek out a solution for that pain? Those numbers do not add up to me, and I know it can be confusing, the biomechanics of the foot, the bones, the muscles, everything in between, but solving foot pain is simple, and that's where Superfeet comes into play. These Superfeet insoles go into your shoes, give your feet comfort and support where they need it the most, and redistribute the forces that reduce both stress and strain through your entire body, not just your feet. Insoles have been uh, phenomenal for me uh, personally, and they are clinically proven to decrease fatigue, reduce injury, and improve comfort. I can attest to that myself, especially when walking uh, a lot of golf holes that I play. So if you feel good, you play good, you look good, everything works out from there and it starts from the bottom up. Visit superfeet.com and enter promo code FIRST at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. The break. Okay, Sean. Uh, last thing I got for you today. We're, we don't we don't have time to get into everything. Maybe maybe we'll run this back on Wednesday or something. Um, 
the last thing I have for you, this is really interesting. Jeff Shackelford had this on jeffshackelford.com, and he talked about how – he was talking about average age of winners this year. And obviously we talked about Chez being 37 earlier. Uh, Gary Woodland won the U.S. Open at 35. He said, so I'm reading this off his site. Since the start of 2019, there have been nine winners in their 20s. Two won events opposite to more, so opposite field events. One was Rory, who's now 30, and another was Kepka, who's 29. Xander uh, is the youngest winner at 25. That was back in January. And the average age of 2018-19 PGA Tour winners is 33 years old, while the top 20 in the FedEx Cup points average is 32.6 years old. Um, so that's, to, to me, that's stat of the day. That is really interesting. And I'm, I'm intrigued to hear just kind of your thoughts on some of those numbers. Yeah, I think it definitely, you know, bucks the trend of where we thought golf was headed after 2015 through 17, just because yeah. of the emergence of Spieth, Thomas and, and Xander. Um, and I'm probably missing a couple, but I do, there's still a certain amount of, um, there's, it's still, you know, there's still a certain benefit to maturity in golf, uh, as great as it is to hit it far. And also though, I think too, technology and everything we're learning, like, yeah, it's going to develop good players younger, but I think it's also going to extend careers. So like Gary Woodland, you know, before, you know, once you hit 40, maybe you were in a decline period. Whereas, you know, Gary Woodland's 36 is entering the best years of his career. Shez Reeves entering the best play of his career. And so I do think that, um, with further knowledge about uh, fitness and nutrition to keep guys healthier longer, uh, further you know technology and and being optimized technology for distance, being able to hit it longer or hit it farther longer, I do think that you'll see guys who are still able to compete physically uh, with the young guys, and then they'll also have the maturity added in with it. So I it it makes sense to me. I think because you know we thought that all this technology and stuff is only going to benefit guys on the front end and, and get them peaking early. But really it also, uh, it helps guys on the back end as well. Yeah. I think the other thing is like, so, so if you look at this in three stages, you've got kind of the young twenties where guys are just coming out. Just, I mean, this is like the Hovland Wolf group where you're just like, all you do is play golf. Right. And so you, you've got that stage and then you've got like this weird late twenties stage that I think Rory just exited to where you're like, you have, if you have a ton of success early on, like you don't really know who you are in your late twenties. Like you're trying to like figure a bunch of stuff out and then into your thirties and beyond, you kind of have figured out who you are and and what you want to do and who you want to be. And so if you don't, I, I I just, I think if you don't have guys that are in the 20, 21, 22, 23 range winning a lot, your average age is going to balloon because I just, I, I, I feel like it's this might sound dumb, but I feel like it's easier to win when you're in your 30s and beyond, just because you're more settled than in your late 20s. Late 20s is a, I think, a weird age like for a lot of these guys. And maybe I'm looking at specific careers like Spieth and Rory and JT and some of those guys, but I just think it's easier when you're older or really young than it is kind of when, when you're in that middle ground. Yeah, I think that. I agree with that. I think it's easy to come out and maybe kind of be naive when you first come out. You know, if you always had, if you succeeded all of your life at every level, and then you just kind of think, especially when you've seen your peers do it too, that's easy to think, okay, I'm just going to come out and, and win again. And you kind of do, but 
you know, you kind of get some of that scar tissue and maybe need to rebound from it. Um, you know, if you come out and have success right away, you're like, Oh, this is easy. And then you just think you can do it forever. But then you blow that first lead or you, you know, go through that first rough patch and you have to kind of recover from it. Um, so I I definitely could see some of that. It is interesting how we've seen guys have a lot of success at 25 and a lot of success at like 35, but maybe I don't want to say lose their way, but yeah, have some kind of middling years there in the middle. Middle and years in the middle. Uh, okay, that's all I got. You got anything else from Travelers or anything else you're working on or thinking about? Uh, no, that I think we covered. We covered probably more than people wanted us to. Yeah, we got we got Zach Sutra in there. We got Chez deep dive on Chez. We got your boy Chip. We didn't even talk about is, Keegan Keegan Bradley. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say it is pretty crazy that I mean Travelers has an amazing field, really really good field. They've done a lot of work to get such a good field, and you still just because of the depth of golf. Uh, and then especially on a course where different styles can succeed, but that you still do end up with the week where, you know, the stories of the week aren't necessarily Brooks and Jordan, yeah. um, but are Chip McDaniel and Zach Sucher and Victor Hovland. So it's just, it's cool that even on a star set a week like that, like you get this mixed bag of storylines. Yep, for sure. Okay. Uh, that's all I got. And, uh, Sean, we will talk again soon. Sounds good. See ya. See ya.